Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 17 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian and Angelo. Now, Angelo, I'm kind of sad because last week we celebrated our sweet 16th episode live at your place, and this week I'm back to staring at a screen and not feeling the the human experience I had last week. How are you feeling about this? It's okay. I'm, I'm staring at the uh, little pulsating ball of uh, your avatar from Google just looking at me and telling me you're talking, but I don't see you because we don't do video calls because that would hurt the internet and uh, i was thinking it'd be a little too weird yeah i don't want to stare at you staring at me but last week yeah. it was fun because we were exactly in full 3d uh in real life meat space if you will uh and uh we had a really good time the only uh, bad after effect of that is that this microphone smells like smoke Mine does not smell like smoke at all, and I love it. So here's to me not complaining. And and just to be clear, it's not like we were smoking cigars or cigarettes while we were recording like something out of the <laughs> 70s old talk show with Tom Snyder. Uh, it was more of uh, the fire kind of billowing a bit of too much smoke every once in a while. So you are moving away from the outdoors back into indoors. And um, I have to ask, like the most pressing question right now is... My name is Siri. I think, therefore I am. I have everything I need already. This is about you, not me, Angelo. How is Siri treating you? She's done nothing this week. Everything's been great. Um, The only funny thing I noticed, uh, it was mildly funny to me, is that uh, I got a little message for the podcast recording tonight, a reminder on my calendar, and uh, it said, uh, suggested location, home. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know where else I would record this from, but hey. So it started to track you then, or it has been tracking you this entire time. She's always been tracking me. And again, there's that weird uh, Siri thing following me on uh, Twitter. I don't get it. So it's just a but... cornucopia of like really weird circumstances going on with you. Yeah, it's been pretty good though. She hasn't tried to uh, drive me off a cliff or anything with any sort of weird directions or anything. It's been uh, it's been okay. I think I think the Siri. Um, a scare of 2017 may be coming to an end. So we can put that to rest then. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that uh, AI won't kill us uh, because there were two uh, articles on The Verge uh, this week, one saying AI will kill us and the other one saying it might not. Right, so uh, Elon Musk, who's most famous, I guess, for you know Tesla as well as SpaceX, uh, funded this... AI to play uh, Dota 2, which is a, an MMO, um, against human players this past weekend. And, and it beat some of the top players in the world, uh, including the top player, uh, three times in a row or something. So the, the human player gave up. Yeah, and I know you like to uh, watch uh, gaming on Twitch. Do you, are you into this sort of e-gaming, uh, e-sports thing with uh, Dota? I have no idea what Dota is other than it's... I think uh, mildly related to Warcraft. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's it's kind of like a if you want to picture it in your mind, it's kind of like World of Warcraft. I guess you uh, you have a little on on screen avatar and you complete quests and things. So I don't really watch that sort of thing. I'm more into the retro gaming. So um, people playing NES, Super NES, as well as uh, the big thing these days is Super Mario Brothers and Mario World hacks um, that increase the difficulty. Um, so in terms of like modern games, I don't really watch a lot of them. But I thought this article was really interesting in that, or both of them really, because the first one plainly stated that like we're in a lot of trouble as a human race because of the fact that uh, robot learning is increasing at such a rapid rate, right? 
Yeah, and it beat it, it beat him so handily. It seems like uh, the the thing is, is then the second article kind of points out the flaws of why it beat him so easily. So it was very controlled. It was a one on one thing, which it normally isn't. Apparently, it's usually two teams of five players competing, and um, it kind of narrowed down which classes or which actual playable heroes the AI could use. And I think he had to use the same one, if I'm not mistaken. So then the next day. Um, basically, it lost like 50 times because other players started kind of figuring out what it would do wrong uh, or what, what it would kind of like throw it off, right? So basically, they would kind of use like out-of-the-box thinking to kind of mess with it and it couldn't really keep up with them. So it kind of ended up uh, losing the next day. So I feel like Malcolm, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000-hour rule kind of comes into play here, right? Because presumably uh, a lot of these players, like uh, eSports is their lives, right? So in theory, they should have spent about uh, 10,000 hours at this point playing this game. So I feel like uh, they were even able to anticipate uh, in AI's um, next movements based on what they've already seen, which I find kind of interesting. Yeah, and a quote from the article that, that really got me was that the, the players used offbeat strategies and uh, they clarified the sort that wouldn't even phase a human opponent, opponent, but the AI just had never seen it before, so it kind of like didn't get it. Um, basically, they said that the, it didn't look like the bot was flexible enough to kind of handle this change in tactics, so if you kind of deviated from what normally would happen, it would mess it up. And so does this worry you with the prospect of uh, autonomous cars driving on the same roads as humans? that could be an issue right it definitely can be and i know that uh so there are a couple of things with autonomous cars that i was reading about so for example one of the things is um some of the cars radar was our antennas weren't strong enough so whenever it would hit a parking structure it would just stop right so they were working on that and then uh there's a lot of questions uh, revolving around if a car has to take a life in order to save a life what happens then so there's a lot of like morality questions in play with this sort of thing. And I don't know if you've read it all about this, but there are a lot of sort of nuances that people didn't necessarily think about on the onset of, oh, autonomous cars, this is, is going to be an awesome thing. Whereas now it's just, there's all these like little questions as to how um, behaviors are going to uh, become shaped and how they're going to deal with things. Isn't it, uh, it's almost like that age old question where there's that, uh, there's a train with 50 people or something. And would you, uh, save the person's life who had to flip the switch versus uh, just let all those people on the train die because you don't see them. What, what would the autonomous vehicle choose and would probably just kill the one person versus the 50. Right. But a human would be a little more different, whereas a human might even sacrifice itself. So the strangest thing is I was watching someone on Twitch um, Monday afternoon talk about sort of this because he, uh, so a lot of these players just um, talk to screens all day if you're not familiar with things like Twitch, right? So this guy was playing a video game and he had a pretty sizable audience. He had about 30,000 people watching him at the time. And he was talking about this exact question, right? So, you know, what if a doctor needs to um, do something like how would a robotic doctor deal with that sort of um, thing? Would it do an offbeat um, procedure knowing that the chance of survival is lower? Would it just let you die because the logical thing would be to let you die, right? So I think it's 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 troubling to say the least. And the funny thing too, I think with all this is that just last month, Elon Musk was going around saying like, we should make sure that 
there are governmental regulations in place for EI, for AI, not EI, but for EI too, um, for AI, right? So it's kind of weird that on the one hand, he's going around saying like, we should watch out about AI. And then at the same time, he's handing out money um, to a bunch of startups to sort of see where they take AI too at the same time. So I think it's, it's this weird um, give and take uh, inside of Elon Musk himself. Yeah, I think he's thinking that it's best to, for him to handle it on his own end so like he can kind of have a bit of control and see where it's going and make sure that it doesn't get out of control. But he probably figures if it's out of his hands, it's more it's going to be more difficult for him to control. Uh, something you mentioned when you uh, talked about Twitch uh, and you say, you know, if you know what Twitch is and how it works, well, it's one of, you know, that, that, that thing explained to me like I'm five. Well, Twitch, you would have to explain it as explain it to me like I'm 50, right? Okay. Because it's, it's more difficult to grasp for people right. that are older than it is for people that are younger. And the weird thing too is that you just you just listen to someone talk to themselves and respond to written prompts that you don't necessarily see. So I think it's this really weird thing that you need to get used to if you plan on watching regularly. Yeah, no, I I, I wouldn't really know where to start with that. I. <laughs> I watch a lot of retro game stuff on, on YouTube, but I, I hardly ever go to Twitch. I had signed up for Twitch, actually, because I can stream on my PS4, and then I realized nobody really cares what I do on my PS4, so I just canceled my Twitch account. It was also around the time where there was a huge um, breach of uh, Twitch passwords. Not that it matters in my case, because I, I uh, practice good password hygiene and don't use any of the same ones, but... Still, it, it kind of turned me off, and I, I realized that Harley was using it, so I kind of just canceled it. You, you do you have an, a, a subscription to Twitch? No, no, I just I have the free. I don't subscribe to anything. You subscribe to nothing. Yeah, no, I follow a tons, but I don't spend money on Twitch. Okay, no, I mean, but nothing at all. You subscribe to no moral values. Nothing, no, nothing. nothing. I'm a I'm a Twitch nihilist. You're just you're just Brian. Okay. Uh, but that's, uh, that's a good follow-up to something we had talked about last week, uh, about Disney launching its own on-demand subscription service, but it's going to only be happening in the U.S., so, um, our American listeners will be affected by this, but apparently in Canada, it's still going to be, um, all the stuff that is currently on Netflix, like Avengers and Star Wars, um, that stuff's going to be on Netflix along with a lot of the newer, uh, cartoons. Interestingly, uh, speaking of Disney cartoons, my kids discovered Lion King this week because they've. Um, I can't remember if we talked about this on air or not. Um, but the Lion with, Guard or whatever you were trying to teach me about last week. The Lion Guard, yeah, I think we talked about it yeah, on the show. Did. Yeah. Well, my kids wanted to go back and watch uh, the real Lion King, so we did that this week. We found the Blu-ray and we started watching it. And the old-fashioned um, way on Blu-ray. How was it? Lion King. Yeah. They liked it. Yeah, did they, they enjoy it quite the, a bit. Did they enjoy the music? Yeah, the music's good. We were listening to the soundtrack later on in the week in the car. Of course, so this is the crazy is thing: happens. is that um, the Lion King was the only uh, Disney soundtrack uh, my sister and I owned as kids, and we actually wore it out because we listened to it so much. Was it a CD or a tape? It was a CD, and the laser just stopped reading it after a point. <laughs> just melted it off. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if I mentioned this in the podcast, but last month I got to see Hans Zimmer, who composed most of the score for the Lion King, right? Except for the few Elton John songs and the other um, actual sung songs. But uh, it was fascinating because he did the circle of life and he brought out the singer from the Lion King soundtrack to do um, all of his bits too, which was really cool. That's, that must've been pretty amazing to see a composer like that in person. 
Well, he had. Oh, he also had like this this gigantic orchestra of like sixty people, so it was really fantastic. So, if anyone out there wants to catch him on tour, I would highly suggest it. So, yeah, seeing Hans Zimmer was a really, um, I think, a once in a lifetime experience. Given the assembled orchestra that he had, there was uh, at one point like three or four guitars full on distortion. Like it went from very quiet to very loud, and so the dynamics were really interesting. But I mean, that's kind of apart from what we want to talk about too, right? So, uh, thankfully, um, talking about how much you'd pay for this Disney service is kind of moot at this point because it's not for us in Canada. But uh, there are a lot of other subscriptions on a monthly basis that you and I both subscribe to, right? So a few. Um, I do uh, Netflix and Apple Music. Um, the SoundCloud count that we've we've paid for a year for that, I guess. So that's a uh, peek behind the curtain there. Uh, I'm almost annoyed that we, we went to the, the route to save money by paying for a year because now we both kind of want out of SoundCloud. Well, I mean, it's all hindsight. It's 2020, right? So at the time, it seemed like the best deal. But now with all this bankruptcy and bailout talk, it's, it's a little more uh, chaotic than we envisioned it. So we'll eventually be paying monthly for a uh, podcasting host. But for now, we're, we're okay with SoundCloud. Uh, but I, I can't think of too much in terms of tech subscription services so i i classify that as uh so i guess i have my icloud account as well and um i mentioned apple music and netflix but that's all really i can think of and in, unfortunately in canada we don't get the, the too many choices we can't get hbo go without getting the whole stupid cable package we can't get hulu we don't have um what are the other ones? I guess now we do have Amazon Prime, but I don't I don't really need Amazon Prime, so I, I haven't paid for that. But do you you subscribe to what? You have Spotify? I have Spotify and Netflix and that's it. Yeah, so we don't subscribe to many, but the thing is now is Yeah. Apps are starting to go into the subscription model now and Right. Right. I mean, um, uh, this week uh, there was a bit of a hubbub with an app called Ulysses, which is a, a professional writing app on the Mac and uh, on iOS. And they've decided to move to uh, subscription pricing, uh, basically because it really helps them in terms of uh, staying afloat and being able to move forward with development of their apps. The problem since the iPhone's App Store started is that there's been this sort of race towards the bottom of uh, pricing for apps and things that used to cost. I, I remember as a kid, the apps cost, well, they were called programs back then. And they and came in CDs with boxes. I remember getting uh, Wing Commander 2 on 15 diskettes. <laughs> 15. <laughs> and the hard drive on my, uh, my computer was 50 megabytes. And God forbid you lost one of those diskettes. Yeah, and, and each diskette was 1.4 megabytes. So when once the game was installed onto the computer, it was basically half my hard drive. Was Wing Commander one of those that Mark Hamill was involved in? Like the No, he was in the later ones. This okay. was Wing Commander 2 is okay. what prompted me to get a sound blaster for my, my uh, Magnavox 16 uh, megahertz uh, PC. It was a 386. 
You know what? That's, oh, the good old days. I kind of want to throw this out to our listeners right now. Um, I'd be interested in knowing what other people's sort of like optimal rig when they first were really uh, enamored um, with their uh, PC or Mac setup was. So if you want to go ahead and tweet at us at uh, double underscore density or hit us up on Facebook, send us a message or post on the wall uh, on our page, uh, facebook.com slash double density podcast. And the same thing on Instagram, double density podcast. We'd love to hear what your setup was. Um, because I'm just thinking about that now that I'm listening to you talk about how you acquired a sound blaster. Yeah, that was, uh, was, it was a suboptimal rig at that point. It was, like I said, 16 megahertz. That's ridiculous at this point. And even back then it didn't run, uh, wing commander two very well, but it ran it. And, uh, with the sound blaster, it sounded amazing. But going back now, I, I would kind of freak out as how terrible wing commander looked, but it was fun in the day. But going back to subscription pricing now, apps uh, haven't been very expensive. Like the other day, I, I was trying to get a um, a writing app for my um, iPad. And Ulysses was one of the ones I looked at. But at the time, so a week and a half ago, before the, the subscription pricing, it was it was over $20. And I found that expensive. But it's a professional writing app. I didn't need to use all the services, all the things it offers. So I ended up uh, picking up by, uh, an app called Byword. And that was $9.99 or $6.99, something like that. It wasn't super expensive, but I had to think about it. And then I realized, well, that's not that expensive for, for what I'm getting. There's a lot of people working on these apps, and um, I think it's important that they charge what they need to charge. Now, is subscription pricing fair or not? That's something people want to look at, right? You want to, do people prefer to buy their software and keep it and not have to actually update it if they don't want to, like in the old days when people would be stuck on Photoshop 5 for six years. I remember when I first got my Mac, I never updated from uh, Mac OS 10.3 Panther because I I didn't really want to spend $150 to get Tiger. Right. You had to pay for the updates back then. And that was normal pricing. You'd, I remember people walking into, when I worked uh, in a software department at a major technology store in Canada, I um, people would be surprised when I tell them all oh, the office is $500. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. I mean, um, Adobe switched to a, a subscription, right? So a yearly subscription is 600 bucks Canadian for a year for um, the creative suite, which is Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, Lightroom, Premiere Pro, et cetera, et cetera. So it is a little bit pricey if you do want to be able to um, stay in that realm, right? But if you're a pro, the price isn't really an issue because it's part of your job. You need it. It's it's like the same people that buy Mac Pros. It's people complaining that they're expensive. Well, price is no object at that point for most people that are using them. It's it's part of their job. It's a tool. It's like somebody that buys a pickup truck. So I think subscription pricing is going to help. Uh, I just thought of something I do pay for, actually, but it's voluntary, and I, I subscribe to... Um, for uh, Overcast, the podcasting app, right? I I pay the developer the, um, his uh, annual. It's like a it's like a premium thing. What did you say it was like twelve bucks? Yeah, it's like twelve bucks yeah. a year. Totally worth yeah. it for an app I use hours upon hours a day. It's my most used used app by far. Right. So I have I feel I don't feel bad at all spending a little bit of money for something that I use so much, and he needs to put money into it. So. 
Right. Um, so looking at pricing though for Ulysses, so it's five bucks a month or else it's 40 bucks a year. And if you're already an existing customer, they've uh, brought that down uh, a little bit. Uh, so it's $30 a year for full access. So it's not even that bad, especially if, if it's your professional using. It's not something that just anybody would pick up and buy. It's not, uh, not like the Facebook app or something. It's something that if you... If you're buying Ulysses, it's because you've looked into it and you realize that's the best app for you. Right, right. Uh, it's kind of like uh, you really have to measure out the utility cost of the thing, right? So I thought of something else that I subscribe to. So I subscribe to a podcast, which is um, two fifty US a month. But how much I get out of it is way more than my two fifty is worth. I think because I get something like twenty five to thirty hours of content, right? So I, I feel it's. Uh, it's worthwhile for me to pay that sum of money in order to keep this podcast going because it, I get so much out of it. It's such a benefit that I'm willing to pay that price. And that podcast is Double Density. You just reminded me, I do uh, pay for uh, $5 a month American for uh, Relay, Relay FM, which is a podcast network I like and uh, well worth it. Actually, August is the best month to become a member because you get their special podcast that's only available to members and there's some really interesting stuff happening there so yeah so it's a good that's month what, it's a good month for you august yeah august is a good podcasting month i have i was off last week from work so i didn't listen to as many podcasts right because i listen to mostly while i do my job i'm lucky enough to have a job where i can do that right now i have like 2.4 gigs of podcasts on my on overcast which is a lot of podcasts but that's I remember, okay. I do remember that there are certain points where you've complained about having to catch up. Yeah, it's not even a complaint, right? It's it's like I'm oh man, I have too much to listen to, too much to do, too much fun. <laughs> so free much free content out there, content running wild in the streets. That's the that's the thing right now is that uh, with all these things, you know, you were asking me about what other services I would pay for. At this point, every time I go into netflix i'm faced with decision paralysis there's so much stuff uh, and tomorrow defenders starts is that what they're called defenders yeah marvel defenders so. yeah yeah that's starting tomorrow so um that should be a lot of fun uh, i'm finishing up kimmy schmidt there's always something and um there's something that uh, i discovered this week that we'll uh, probably talk about in our next segment so we'll get to that in a sec. But before that, I want to bring things back to AI. And uh, my closing thought about this whole thing is that um, I'd love to see AI go up against the uh, Kobayashi Maru simulator. Do you know what that is? Of course I know what that is. I'm just double that's checking. From the, that's from the Star Wars. Yeah, the one Star Wars that happened with, years uh, and years ago. With Captain Skywalker. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's from uh, Star Trek. That's how... Uh, Captain Kirk became Captain Kirk. That's right. So in theory, it is a lose-lose situation with Captain Kirk. With his wizardry, uh, is is Captain Kirk the first uh, hacker? Yeah, he cheated his way through it, right? Yeah, exactly. He reprogrammed the simulation, right? And this was in the '60s. So, um, would you count uh, William Shatner's Captain Kirk as like the first um, preeminent hacker? I guess I would. Yeah, but yeah. he was in the future, though. But this was recorded in the '60s, right? So, so I always I didn't realize that was actually shown on an episode from the the original. Was it an episode, or was, was it from one of the movies? I'm probably. So I always thought it was talked about, but the first time they actually showed it was in the the reboot uh, by J.J. Abrams. No, but well, I, they showed it, but they talked about it. I'm sure somebody will correct us. So feel free to correct us on uh, our Twitter account. We'll be very happy to hear from you. Yeah, exactly. 
But until then, uh, yeah, let's see if an AI can beat a lose-lose situation and piss off some Klingons. Hey Siri, what do you think about AI? I'm sorry, Angelo. I'm afraid I can't answer that. Well, there you go. She's starting up again. She never wants to answer these direct questions. No, because she knows that the truth is out there. Hey Siri, are you friends with Hal? Well, now she didn't even answer me on my phone. She answered me on my iPad. Well, <laughs> now geez. she's in your home for real. So uh, I feel like the threat level has been raised from zero to like one. Yeah, so it's not too bad. Unless it's on a scale of three. I feel like you should unlock your doors. Unlock my doors? Yeah, like in case you need to run out. Oh, they're already unlocked. I live, you, you saw where I live. Right. N- nobody walks on my car in my neighborhood. Oh. Like some poor people. Thanks, Angelo. Thanks for bringing that up in a podcast format. <laughs> it's the perils of city living when you uh come out and there are boot marks all over your car because someone stepped on it in the night and well yeah that's the price you pay for living next to i just a thought of something station. maybe and you saw that the boot marks kind of like faded away as he was getting towards the hood maybe he was running away from a ufo and he got like sucked up right off as he was uh, crossing the the windshield you know what let's save this for the paranormal portion of the show sounds like a plan so let's get into that in a second here on double density Next week on Double Density. Bob the Printer reveals all. Double Density. Welcome back to the Double Density Podcast. And as we do every week, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So, Angelo, what do you have as first first? So, we talked about that uh, orb video that we're going to post, and we posted it. And uh, so, yeah, so uh, we asked uh, what the orb was in the video we posted it to our YouTube account. And um, we we're wondering if anybody would guess it, because it did could look kind of weird. I hope everybody watched it, did your homework. Um, but uh, it was guessed pretty quickly by, uh, by Rob, from uh, our friend from Twitter. Uh, he's at your UFO guy. And um, he said uh, at first... Uh, it doesn't really look like an orb, but he said it knows, he knows what it reminds him of, but he's not, he's kind of baffled by it because it does look weird, right? Um, but I said, I told him to keep going and uh, he said it's nothing paranormal. It almost had the effect of a worm on a hook. And it's essentially what it is. It was a tiny caterpillar hanging from a string on a branch, just kind of floating in the wind. And because of the angle I was getting it at, he looked. It, it looked like it was right over the trees, and floating over my son's head. But it was really much in the foreground, and it was totally out of focus because my iPhone could not focus on it. So it was nowhere near your son's head. Nowhere, not even close. It was a good forty feet away. Well, you know what, Angelo? Mystery solved. We can end the podcast right about here. I'm going to see you next week. How does that All work? Right. That's it. Good night. Good night, everyone. Bye. Bye. No, please don't shut off the show. We're still here. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the meat of the show. So no, that was an interesting to... little sort of social experiment, right? Like that's a good way of calling it. Yeah, it's a social experiment, like uh, like uh, Joey Salads. <laughs> well, a little um, less intrusive than Joey Salads, I think, is the best way of putting it, right? And and less uh, fake. Well, it was fake, but we kind of said it was fake. Right. Well, speaking of things that are fake, you've been watching this new series on Netflix, right? So uh, that you've been quite amused by. And well, I kind of want to pick your brain about this. So what have you been watching and why? So 
like we were mentioning earlier, you're faced with a lot of stuff on Netflix and uh, everyone's around. I like the, um, you know, those, I, I don't want to call them crummy, but those, those silly documentaries about the paranormal that are on, uh, on the, the, the history channel, all that stuff. There's, but this one seemed intriguing because I noticed the, the problem with it. Okay. Is a silly thing, but there was no uh, actual synopsis of each episode in the in the description. There was no description of the episodes on on Netflix for it, so I had to kind of like guess by seeing the what the t- thumbnail was. And I saw one of the thumbnails was Phil Plate, who's uh, who's an astronomer. I said, okay, that's got to be either about aliens or um, astronomy or something. And since the show's called "That's How the World Ends," well, it was about asteroids, so uh, that was a really good episode. But the first one I, I started watching was about uh, religious predictions of the end of the world. Okay. And the show's called "How the World Ends." It's actually a Canadian production, and was was fun. Is in the first episode, uh, there was a professor from the university I work at being interviewed. He was one of the uh, more skeptical. Uh, He's a he's a professor of theology, and he was more skeptical of what uh, some religious uh, texts allude to in terms of the end of the world. But the whole show is pretty interesting. They've got some really good people interviewed, uh, and some not so good, as you were and discussing. And some with not me. so good, yeah. So the good ones are like Phil Plate, Seth Shostak from Massetti, um, who also is like a, he hosts uh, something called the Skeptic Check, um, or he used to. It's super fascinating. So he kind of. Um, has placed himself as a rational scientist who um, suggests, you know, things could be out there, but he doesn't uh, believe in a lot of the pseudoscience out there involving uh, the paranormal, especially UFOs. No, exactly. He's he's um, he's not like Philip Glass uh, level uh, debunking skeptic, but he's he's like us, right? He's he's more looking for more uh, actual real evidence of anything going on but he obviously believes there's aliens because he's in charge of seti well and and that's not to be confused with steven guru c seti which is an entirely different beast this is scientific seti um the one that actually does work with radio telescopes and the like and searches the universe yeah carl sagan was involved with that as well when he was around and uh so but yeah so they, they they did what i liked about it there was a bit of uh the balance between uh some real cookery and some uh, some skeptical analysis um, one of our favorites uh, was interviewed though our, our favorite nostradamus scholar and the, my favorite thing about it was that his chiron at the, in the lower third uh, says that he's a rogue scholar so i was doing some research on this as you had uh, discussed this with me and it turns out he's a self-proclaimed rogue scholar like he literally asked someone hey under my name could you put the words rogue scholar Oh yeah, they didn't choose it. He he chose that for himself. If you had to choose your Chiron uh, under <laughs> your name, like what would your occupation be? I always think about that. I guess uh, would would university administration work? No, that's too that's too hoity toity. Proud father. Proud no that that's really irritating when you write that. <laughs> uh, podcast host. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah, mine would be skeptical but fun. Oh, there we go. There we go. I think that's why people like us. We're skeptical but fun. We don't, we don't uh, go too hard into uh, the, the the debunking of things. So uh, we haven't even gotten to the name of this rogue scholar. So who are we talking about, Angela? We're talking about John Hogue. 
The man he, with the great beard. So, right, he really wants to look like Nostradamus. So that, that's, what he's, that's what he's aiming for with that look. Yeah, totally. Like, he's just growing it out, right? He thinks he's the modern-day Nostradamus. And so something I had no idea of after, what, 20-some-odd years of seeing this guy on uh, prophecy uh, shows. I've always liked these things. I, I keep going back to that. 1994, 1993 ancient prophecies thing that was run on NBC. Well, that's where he first came to prominence, right? Like, uh, was he, it on that? Yeah, absolutely. It was. It was through those that he, those specials that he um, came to the public eye, more or less, right? So that's where I I've heard of him, but I did not know that he fancied himself a prophet. And I went and looked at a website, which we'll post in the show notes. And uh, he's not a very good prophet. No. Well, so as you know, I uh, love old Coast to Coast AM. And he was a, a guest on in 94, 95. And even on there, he was saying things like, there's a great chance that Bill Clinton will, be, will not live out his term due to assassination attempts. So even like 20 years ago, it was clear that his prophecies were not the best. There's a quote uh, from him saying uh, that... Um, since 1968, when he was uh, 13, he's been 100% correct about his U.S. presidential premonitions. And then, um, yeah, it kind of supports that he was totally wrong. What do you think about, so just close your eyes for a sec, right? So John Hogue, long beard in the corner on the one hand. And then two episodes ago, we talked about a Quebec psychic by the name of Jojo Saval, <laughs> right? So just picture if they had a child, right? Like it would be the most gifted like prophet of all time they would give it hugs and kisses <laughs> everywhere <laughs> that's uh that isn't that her her catchphrase yeah or something yeah like? so yeah so or is it but, i love uh, you and i kiss you i think i love you and i kiss you yeah there that we go be, um, that's like an inside baseball thing right like i know that we posted the video a couple of weeks ago but if you uh you know grew up in quebec you know of a certain age then you know who jojo saval is yeah and if not go look her up on youtube she's tremendously fun she's also still posting videos to youtube on a regular i think weekly basis right so kind of interesting it's just easier now but yeah all that to say that john hogue one of the many faces um of this uh netflix series how the world ends and yeah he is definitely not good at predicting things but it seems to me that most of these prophets aren't good at these things, and and all. So the series, the series is a new thing. I think it was filmed in, uh, like just last year, uh, because they do mention uh, Trump becoming president. So, um, and it wasn't the prediction. Uh, they, and they interview some really great people. The, it's well done. Uh, it's not super cheesy, um, but it's. At least like the ones from 20 years ago, they, they had that Mayan 2012 date to look forward to that, you know, they'll, they'll, uh, that'll be the end of the world. And, and the thing is, is all these people keep predicting the end of the world. Eventually they're going to be right. Like, well, I mean, yes, it's, sooner or later. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like whether it's like, uh, you know, a, a nuclear missile launch or like the heat death of the universe, something's going to happen. But at this point, it's like, it's like, you know, when that, that guy who kept predicting that Apple would come out with a TV, uh, he was kept, kept doubling down and hoping he was going to be right. And at this point, he's not right. But maybe they'll come out with a TV if you just keep guessing. Well, I mean, like, uh, sooner or later, it might become a reality. But yeah, um, and in the spirit of that, so in talking about this, I compiled a short list of prophets who were wrong. So, Angelo, if you would indulge me, we're going to go through these and I want... Wait, um, so wait, you just said short list. So... <laughs> 
the way our show works, we have a, a Google Doc with the notes. Um, I, I tend to do it, uh, work on that throughout the week. Brian likes to look at it at the beginning uh beginning of the like i i'm usually the one that starts it right so yeah and then like uh, maybe 40 hours beforehand i'll go in add notes and things and sort of get an idea of what i want to talk about too and brian's been busy this week so he only had a chance to go today he said to me you know i think tonight's gonna be a shorter show because i've been busy i'm tired um but i'll, I'll i won't add too much to the notes i'll just, I'll just take a look uh so then he texts me and says, I'll oh, take a look at the notes. I added something, but uh, I can't wait for you to look at it. Okay, don't look yet. I'm going to look. Uh, I'll t- uh, take a look when I tell you. So he tells me to take a look. And he's added a giant wall of text. This it's, is, yeah, this it's qualifies a full page. as uh, TLDR, seriously. <laughs> so it's a full page, yeah. Yeah. So, so like, not a short list, Brian, but let's, let's get with it uh, All right. and, and get going. So without further ado, uh, this is a segment, uh, not a regular segment, but a segment we like to call Prophets Who, Prophets were, wrong. who were Wrong. So firstly, and so what I've done is I've kind of compiled um, Prophets of the Modern Age, more or less, because I feel like those are the most relevant ones and the ones that we've grown up with, more or less, right? So um, first up is televangelist Pat Robertson took to the airwaves in 1976 as part of his 700 Club show and claimed that the world would end in 1982, and he even doubled down in 1980. His buddy Jerry Falwell also regularly appeared on television and continually claimed that the second coming was upon us all. Um, continually, he would say the second coming it's is always, here, right? It's always coming. Uh, another favorite of mine, of course, is, and I think he appeared on the show, is Harold Camping. Uh, Camping, an evangelist and radio announcer, uh, predicted that the end would come on September 6th, 1994, September 29th, 1994, October 2nd, 1994, <laughs> March 31st, 1995. He took a break for a while and then he came back and said that the end would come on May 21st, 2011. And then when nothing happened, switched up to October 21st, 2011. So Family Radio, founded in part by Camping, so it's a network of radio stations, um, that camping was a part of until his death in 2013 spent a reported hundred million dollars advertising the end times in 2011, including things like billboards. So I yeah. think that you've seen, um, pictures of these billboards, right? Yes. And, uh, Harold camping's featured prominently in, in one of the episodes of, uh, how the world ends. And it's, he's, he seems like an awful person. And they interviewed a few people. Uh, one of them was a follower of his, his and still is, but it, and one who's a daughter uh, of uh, parents that followed him and kind of ruined the relationship. And it's really sad what he did to these people. They really believed that the world was going to end. This one guy gave him his life savings and nothing happened because he figured, you know, I'll just give my life savings. Well, it's going to, the world's going to end. Who cares? Well, let's, let's advertise it. And they show this person um, in a news report with people kind of making fun of him uh, as he's waiting for the world to end at six o'clock that time that day and it didn't end well apparently news crews had camped out on his lawn and like all of the blinds were drawn right it's 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 just really sad uh, but i do recommend watching that episode of about harold camping because it just shows you how how deluded some people can get Speaking of sad, the next thing on my list is quite a sad one. And so it's uh, the members of the Heaven's Gate cult thought that the end times were near 1997 when they took their own lives in hopes of joining the Hale-Bopp Comet in March of that year. Strangely enough, and I think this is another episode that we'll, we'll get into this in depth, but someone is still running the Heaven's Gate website. And uh, we've included an article about that uh, in the show notes. Amazing. I have, to, I have to take a look at that. Next up. I didn't see it because it was in the wall of text. Right. Next up, an oldie but a goodie. So Nostradamus said in a quatrain that the, quote, king of terror 
uh, end quote, would come in July 1999, seemingly from the sky. So with that, let's also toss in all those fake 9-11 quatrains spread throughout the internet for good measure um, post 9-11. Do you remember, I think we talked about this like the first episode about how um, these had come up um, very prominently on message boards and emails. Yeah, I think that was our second episode, which we titled Everybody Loves Nostradamus. There we go. Uh, and I remember the King of Terror one scaring me, like, to no end. It's just, it was frightening to me because my, my sister told me about it when I was younger. And, uh, oh yeah, the world's going to end in 1999 because this guy who predicted everything said it would. Um, but the closer you look at Nostradamus the more you realize that his predictions were just kind of, we kind of like shoehorned them into whatever he said. Um, one well, of the scholars, uh, actual scholars, in uh, How the World Ends kind of talks about how the way he writes is really odd. He uses odd language. Um, he makes up his own words sometimes. And a lot of the quatrains really don't make much sense. I definitely would. Agree. I mean, I, I'm not uh, a trained Nostradamus scholar, but I have read a little bit about him and it seems like it's very open to interpretation, which is the best kind of prophecy, right? Like you don't attach specific dates and times to things if you can, and you can always use that margin of error to say, well, I said possibly, right? Yeah, possibly. That's, that's, that's the, that's the word there to use because it's, it's nothing he said made sense no. and we just kind of make our own sense of it now. And, uh, it just goes to show that the world's most esteemed uh, Nostradamus scholar is just self, self-created. self As just my mother would interested. say, he's full of hot air. Yes, and so, beard. Ne- next up on the list is uh, a classic, I guess, in the truest sense of the word. Edgar Casey predicted that the second coming would happen in 2000. And you also added that he, and I forgot about this, he predicted that we would find Atlantis. But it did come in 2000, the second coming of George Bush. Well, if you want to read it that way, sure, go ahead. But at the same time, I think it's a different capital S, capital C, second coming. But that's just me. Uh, okay. <laughs> After that, we have all of those Y2K nut jobs, people like Jim Lord and The Economist Gary North. So the thing with Jim Lord is the word to doomsayer has been sort of attached to any sort of news item that's come up with this guy, right? So pre-1999, Y2K doomsayer Jim Lord was quoted in a lot of different articles in places like CNN and Wired. So, uh, you know what? I want to switch my Chiron to that. I want it to be like whatever we're talking about it is plus doomsayer. <laughs> Fun skeptic, doomsayer. Right. Well, speaking of doomsayers, we have Dr. Doom himself up next. So, Ed Dames. So, Ed Dames predicted the infamous kill shot, a series of solar flares from 2011 to 2013 that would sink the planet. When How that did didn't sink a planet? I wrote that. I don't know. I don't know. Like, destroy <laughs> it, I guess bring its end i was trying to figure out a good way of saying bring its end in a fun way and i, I see you've called me out so when these solar flares didn't <laughs> Sorry, happen right uh ed dames revised his predictions that claim that it wasn't going to be solar flares but planet x wrecking us quote in the near future end quote so ed keep watching them skies so planet x is also featured prominently in the uh astronomical version uh, episode with phil plate um and uh What's her name again? The crazy, the crazy one, Nancy Leader. So she's um, she's prominently featured on that episode of as well. So you have amazing astronomers with PhDs who uh, really know what they're talking about versus a crazy lady. But that's fine. It runs the full spectrum, right? 
but she's really so when they were interviewing i was like who is this woman why is she uh being interviewed on this oh she coined the term uh nibiru and then they just kind of like cut to her whole zeta talk thing and then it comes clear that the aliens have been telling her that planet x exists that it's going to destroy the planet earth and we're in a collision course with it and it's uh, it's sister planet, or is it a brown dwarf or something? <laughs> anyway, I mean, there uh, are many kind of different iterations of Nibiru slash Planet X. Sometimes they're one and the same. Sometimes they're completely different entities. Uh, you know, there's a lot out there about that. And something that I found interesting that ties into uh, Double Density episode eleven, uh, where we discuss the Anunnaki. Well, uh, oh, so that comes up in an episode. Well, no, it doesn't, but I didn't realize that uh, the Anunnaki come from Nibiru. Yes, so or, Zachary Stitchin, in, in some of his writings, actually explains that, and I think I mentioned that in the episode itself. Yeah, I think you did. It's just I, I made the connection with, with it on watching this. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what Brian was talking about. Well, there you go. And finally, on my list of prophets who got it wrong is the granddaddies of them all, the Jehovah's Witnesses. So, <laughs> ready for this one? Yeah, let's go. The year is 1876. Former Watchtower Society President Charles Taze Russell declared, quote, the end of harvest would come in, 19, in 1878. He then, uh, when it didn't come, obviously, revised that the end of harvest uh, would come in 1881, uh, at the end of the year during 1881. He then pushed it back. Uh, so Russell revised again starting in 1886 with his studies in the scripture series, claiming that 1914 was the end of human rulership. When 1914 failed to happen in October, Russell, uh, when the end uh, failed to happen in 1914, Russell declared that God had withdrawn his support towards Christian Christian nations, which is a really hard claim to verify when you really think about it. It's like, oh, God decided that you're not a desirable people anymore. You just got to say it, and then it happens. It's like uh, the secret. So before dying in 1916, Russell lastly declared that 1918 would be, quote, the new terminus, end quote. So it doesn't end there, though, because his successor, Joseph Franklin Rutherford, said 1925 is the end date in the pamphlet handed out starting in 1920. You can find that pamphlet online. I'll see if we can link to it. Very interesting stuff. So they go quiet for a number of years. And then finally in the 60s, um, this brings about a new declaration of end times from the Watchtower Society, setting the date of 1975 based on some dubious math in terms of calendar years and the like. So finally, some factions of the religion believed that 1994 was to be the year. And when that didn't come to pass, more Watchtower Society folks pinpointed 1997, or the end of the millennium more or less, as the latest attempt to predict Armageddon. So they've been quiet since about then about this. And they actually apologized for the last couple of dates. They, so they haven't, they're, they're no longer predicting the end of the world because they, they come knocking every once in a while here. And, they actually um, came to my door this morning. Did they? How was your interaction with them? I did not accept their pamphlet. Oh. My my wife, when we first moved here, because this woman came to our door, super friendly, looked so normal, and my wife thought it was a neighbor or something, and uh, she started talking, it was friendly, with them, and then she handed her the pamphlet, and then my wife realized what had happened, and then this woman tried to become like our friend. She would come by every once in a while, give us pamphlets. My wife would be kind enough to just take them. See, you can't do that. You and then we looked at them. So we would look at them and then I was like, this is crazy. And it just talks about how the world ends and all that. It's like, uh, is it is it 4,400 people that can go? Yes. With them? Yeah. It's, an, it's, it's so odd. 
It's so I've been so reading long. a lot about these end time prophecies specifically relating to Jehovah's Witnesses. And it's interesting because right before any of these uh, end time dates pop up, guess what, Angelo? There's a rise in membership. Oh. So, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, I'd use the word tactic, I guess, in order to entice people to join. Uh, hey, guess what? The end is soon. Come join us. You'll be safe. Like a free, uh, a free month of Spotify. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, uh, Spotify for the soul, I guess. So he'd also written down a certain uh, French uh, prophet. So he showed up in the Nostradamus episode, and he's like a, almost like a rival to John Hogue at this point, because he's saying he's the, the eminent uh, Nostradamus uh, scholar at this point, because he was chosen by Nostradamus himself. He talks about in the episode how there's some quatrains referring to a man in the future that will uh, be able to talk about Nostradamus and explain his predictions to everyone. So that kind of like contradicts things, right? Because if Nostradamus keeps predicting the end of the world, then how did he predict this guy from the future? And why did we get it wrong back then when we thought the world was going to end? But now um, he's been... uh, chosen by Nostradamus to predict the, the past, present, and future all the way to the year 2242. So we're kind of pushing it at this point. Um, and as a quick is, side note, this, this Benoit fellow, if you need to jump into the past, a visit to his website is all that you'll need. Yep, but it is PayPal verified. Right, <laughs> all big, the way with the weird button at the end that doesn't yeah. match any of the color scheme. No, come on. I'm surprised there's not a... Oh, wait, what is this? There is a a security verification at the bottom. I'm surprised there's not a net nanny um, toggle here. Or a a web counter. Can we sign (laughs) this? I mean, we're one one step away from this dude. I think he's he's part of a web ring. Uh, Uh, So you've fallen in with all these kooks this week. Yeah, but it was a lot of fun. I really enjoy shows like that. I wish there was more. There was another uh, conspiracy theory uh, show that I really f- enjoyed. Um, there's a lot of good, uh, <laughs> silly documentaries like this on Netflix. Um, some are much better than others. A couple we've watched for the show, which uh, we'll eventually talk about. Um, but yeah, uh, Netflix, uh, there's a lot of stuff. I wish there was the ancient alien stuff on there. I. I'd like to see our, our buddy with the hair. Do you uh, though? Cause I, I mean like I'll, I have the first two seasons on DVD. Like a, it was a Christmas gift. And after four <laughs> episodes of it, you kind of just don't care anymore because it's always like, maybe it's aliens. Like that's always the conclusion is maybe it's aliens because we have no rational thought behind this. But there is, that's the thing we've, we've kind of understood how, how things were done back then. Uh, it was amazing human ingenuity. It wasn't aliens. It could have been. Well, maybe it was. It could have been. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's just this weird thing, right? Where it's just if you keep watching episodes, it's kind of you get fatigued about the idea. Like, it's almost like I almost hated the concept of aliens by the end of it. Yeah, no, I, I, that's why I never, I've only watched a few episodes when I've caught them on TV, but I hardly ever just turn on my TV and change the channel to something now. It's just let me go on Netflix and see what's there. And basically I spend an hour just looking for something and then find nothing. So the weird Um, thing is you can't even envision what you're going to see. So you yourself are a horrible prophet. No, I'm not good at all. I I can't. So are you, you're willing to declare that you, Angelo, are a horrible prophet? I, I predict that. I guarantee it actually, for sure. Nothing I will say will come true. Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. 
So, Angela, this week we've covered everything from uh, AI, maybe or maybe not killing us, to uh, Netflix uh, staying with Disney content in Canada, to talking about profits who were wrong. And I want to do a quick detour back to tech for this day in technology. So today, as we're recording this, is August 16th. So August 16th, 1995, the first version of Internet Explorer was released to the public. How do you feel about that? Internet Explorer was pretty bad. When I first started using the internet, I guess around that time, 94, 95, was in college, in uh, CJEP as we call it here. Uh, it was, uh, we were all using uh, Netscape Navigator. And I didn't start using um, Internet Explorer until I got a PC that could do it in the 97. So my aforementioned uh, Magnavox PC, the 16 uh, megahertz uh, 386, did not have internet access. And when you think back to that, it's like, how do we use, like right now, if you sit at a computer that's, that's not connected to the internet, what are you going to do? There's not too, too much to do. That's why we've just played so many games, I guess, right? Uh, but my first computer had Internet Explorer, and that's when I discovered uh, the joys of ActiveX and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, Internet Explorer. I'm glad it's gone. Well, you know what? Uh, I'm glad it's gone too. I... Well, it's technically not gone, I guess, right? Well, I mean, it's still on most Windows machines. Do you know I still see people at work using Internet Explorer? Well, you know what? Some people don't know any better, right? So is this a teachable moment? Are you going to go around the office? No, I don't want to do that. I've already, I already, like every once in a while, (laughs) as bad as it is, if I know the person well enough, I'll be like, you don't need to do that when I see them uh, flicking away their stupid apps on the stupid iPhone. So what I'm saying is, do you want to become the person who's handing out, uh, going cubicle to cubicle, handing out pamphlets? About the end of the Internet Explorer. Exactly. Is that something you're going over the edge? I get it. <laughs> so this has they been episode. I'm going to end this here. I think. I mean, before you get into too many puns. Okay. <laughs> jokes. So this has been episode 17 of the Double Density Podcast. Tune in next week as we teach Angelo the joys of computer emulation. I can't wait for that. See you, Angelo. Bye. Bye.